This is the Global Logistics Podcast, and here is our host, Steve Grossman. Okay, hi everyone. Thank you for joining us for our latest podcast interview um, for Global Logistics, and I'm delighted to be chatting with Paul Rivers. He's a CEO of Guidance Automation, which are experts in autonomous robots for um, industrial use. Paul, is that a good way to describe it? AI and autonomy, perhaps I should say. Um, Thank you for joining us, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, and being with us. It's a pleasure, and that yeah is a, a broad brush of uh, of what we are and uh, and what we do, and uh, perhaps we'll home in on uh, on some of it as we go through. Please, yeah. So, so can you start by telling us how you are part of this company, where it all came from? You know, from to be from you know the background. Yeah, so I mean, the company itself is uh, is thirty years old, and it, it started making a laser scanning device which was originally an indoor gps navigation solution whereabouts is the vehicle indoors people were traditionally following lines on the floor magnetic tape those kind of things which they still do yeah Uh, but there's less freedom you need to peel those lines up and you need to put you know new lines down the lines get broken and damaged with other people moving over them and traffic and things um, so people wanted more freedom. And if you yeah. could work out where you were in a facility, then you move more to a software solution. And uh, and that's what happened. So 30 years ago, this scanner was created. It was revolutionary at the time. And um, and that was the first toe in the water with, uh, you know, with automation, um, being able to help people do primarily forklift truck type vehicles. They were big vehicles that were, uh, you know, moving around and uh, and anything else where people was trying to move big loads. So when I said about the auto, or- autonomy uh, forgive me if i've i've um, oversimplified what it is you do but in the round can can you sort of elaborate in what you would say your company is is as as an entity what they specialize in yeah so what we really do now um, and there's two pieces to the business but what we really do now is uh, help people who make vehicles to help them automate the vehicles. So effectively, if you think of, and I'll use a forklift truck as an example, um, because it's you know an electric vehicle used in a warehouse or a manufacturing facility. Yeah. If I want to make that driverless, which is ultimately the robotic side of things, um, I need the indoor GPS element. Whereabouts is the vehicle at any given time? I need something to talk to the controls of the vehicle to make it physically move. So, you know, normally the human who's driving it is turning the steering wheel and pressing the pedal to make this thing move. Um, I need an electronic device to do talk to those um, parts of the vehicle. And then I also need a piece of software, which is in communication with a vehicle, which is saying, well, what job do I want you to do? You know, so the job is simplistically, I want you to go to, you know, aisle five, location seven, do a collection, and then go to aisle three, location two, and do a drop. So the vehicle controller piece is, you know, controlling the vehicle to do all those moves. Yeah. The piece of software is managing all that action. And obviously the, the navigation piece, the localization, whereabouts am I? And in the end, that doesn't matter whether it's a cleaning machine, a pallet truck, a forklift truck, a small robotic vehicle with a robot arm on. It's still exactly the same principle, um, you know, of those three main components, really. Oh, okay. Thank you for explaining that. And and very inter- some really interesting stuff there. One thing I immediately picked up, you mentioned about the GPS. I do some commercial drone work. Obviously, as you know, that's all, it has to have GPS. It's all guided by that. Brilliant. Supremely accurate. But also now, if I take my drone indoors, which I, I don't do many indoor flights, although I've been asked to, the GPS is lacking. How do you, I'm assuming you have some kind of system 
Whereas whatever, wherever you are, the sarno, repeat, or however you do it. I mean, can you just elaborate how that you get around that obstacle? Yeah, and there are different ways um, of doing it. Uh, most of it is laser scanning, so creating point clouds, distance measurements and things um, as obstacle avoidance as much as anything else. But if you go into um, a facility and, um, you know, the, the real stuff of this started with laser safety scanners. They were originally right. looking okay. for your ankles. Yeah. Yeah. But if you drive that vehicle around, it obviously sees everything at ankle height. So the simplest way is to say, okay, let's drive the vehicle around on day one and create a map of what everything looks like at ankle height. Um, and, you know, that's the facility. And then we download that into the vehicle. And then when the vehicle is in a particular location with its live view using those safety scanners, um, you can fit what the vehicle is currently seeing to that map. And so the vehicle can work out where it is. And as you move ah. it around, um, it's using a map. And there are then visual systems, which are used more on drones, um, where, you know, you're looking for obstacles with cameras. I mean, we do this with two eyeballs. So yeah. having a stereo camera or a 3D camera, you can look for the obstacles and, uh, and move around and, and work out some distances from walls and things like that. And uh, so it's all about, you know, either just avoiding obstacles like we would do if we walk into a room, we would just walk up and down the aisles. Camera systems can do that. Um, whereas, you know, laser based systems want a map of what the environment looks like. Otherwise, it just aimlessly wanders around and doesn't really know where it's going other than it's not hitting anything. So, uh, you know, it's, I've got you. I've got you. There's, the, uh, there's the charge. So, again, we, we have applications where people want to move from the warehouse and they want to go between warehouses. And if those distances start to increase, then we rely on GPS too, um, you know, because there's nothing really for us to see, to navigate from. Um, and so GPS has its place outside. It's just, as you know, not very good indoor or close to buildings, uh, particularly metal structures of warehouses and things. Um, so, uh, you know, the lasers and the vision systems work well there, um, whereas GPS is, uh, you know, is good out in the open spaces. Thank you. Now, they've explained that really well. And even going back... <clears throat> I don't know, five years or maybe 10 years. I mean, the growth has been phenomenal in automation. It's been absolutely bewildering. Um, and I'm not just talking about the Amazons and the Asdas and all the others that are going, becoming more and more automated, although that's a big part of it. So I suppose the question is, just looking back yourself personally over the last five to 10 years to where we are now, could I, not could you have predicted, or maybe that is a question, could you have predicted it, but what's your spin on, the last few years in terms of the growth and where we're going to be in the next five to 10 years? Well, like many of these things, um, the technology itself, um, you know, those cameras I was referring to are the laser sensors and things. The price of those has come down. And as the price of those comes down, people then, you know, start to use them for more and more applications. Um, but really, this is software, you know, more than anything else. Yes, yeah. I need the sensors to collect the thing, um, but this is capability in software. And so then I'm looking at the speed of processors and things like that, which in the last five or 10 years, um, you know, is being driven and it's driven, being driven by mobile phones and things like that. People want smaller processors, faster processors and, uh, and those kind of things, um, you know, so it makes it possible. And the more it becomes possible, the more people then push the boundaries. And, uh, you know, that that's what kind of gains the uh, because the AI stuff that, um, you know, is kind of the current topic that people are uh, referring to. That's a lot of processing power, you know, a lot of learning and things. Yeah. Um, and that's, um, you know, that's what it's really taken. The, uh, you know, the microchips and the memories to get bigger 
um, you know, so you can store all this information. And uh, and of course, the internet um, itself, you know, a lot of stuff becomes cloud-based or you want inter-site dependencies and things like that. Um, you know, again, all of that is a key piece to uh, to making this work. And where do you... Where do you find, I mean, the skill set required for the, these people to come up with software solutions that are required, I'm sure you're honing them and adapting them all the time, but where do you find the kind of calibre of, of staff, people, engineers that you're looking for, you know, when you are trying to find people that will come in and, and help drive your business forward? Yeah, now I'll probably upset some people with this, but really software is changing that fast that, you know, after five, 10 years in a particular um, software area, you're becoming out of date. So a lot of the people that end up coming into uh, what we do are from universities. Um, you know, we're trying to get them straight from the university departments and things. Um, and just even now, you know, the whole COVID thing has meant that more people have been working from home. So what that's really done is said, particularly to software developers that are in demand, because it's similar people that are doing the apps on phones and, you know, the games and, and everything that we need to do as well. Um, they can now work for anybody, really. They don't have to be in the, the local area. You know, people used to go in the office and all work together as software developers. So you've got a job in your local area or you move to, uh, to suit like many people do with jobs. But now all of a sudden, um, you know, there's a huge change of people where they're going further afield and that's pushing up the salary prices and things like that. So again, that's a huge uh, challenge. COVID partly done, um, but the working from home uh, thing. So uh, it's almost a case of, you know, each time the university, uh, you know, finishes their academic year, that's when you're in a point to uh, refresh the software uh, team with the uh, with the missing people. Otherwise, you're just fighting the salary increases that people are commanding, um, and which they can, unfortunately. And it's really, I mean, we read about how tough it is um, all of a sudden to recruit staff, and that genuinely is the case. It is becoming a little bit of a struggle. Absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, I think through the whole COVID thing, whilst I've not needed to, you know, reduce the number of staff, um, the, um, you know, the demand people have moved or I need more staff and they are very, very difficult to get hold of. And the salaries are going up that they're expecting as well. So that's a definite. Yes. And, and where do you see, because uh, I think you've got offices in the States as well, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So where do you see the UK? Um, in terms, this isn't anything to do with Brexit, although it's interesting because things have moved slightly. But where do you see the UK in terms of um, technology as a whole and competing with other other countries, other areas? I mean, are we still, or have we still, or have we ever been, are we still at like the cutting edge, or do you think we've got things that we need to address? What's really bizarre is from a software perspective, the universities you know, are generating some very good people. Um, you know, the departments are expanding into AI, robotics, robot arms, you know, the whole suite of things that goes with it, the sensor technology and things, um, you know. So the work is there and the expertise is there. Mm. Um, but then in Britain, we don't really make the vehicles and the robotic stuff. Yeah. You know, we have sales offices for other companies around the world, you know, German companies, you know, European companies um, and US companies. Um, but they're effectively sales outlets and support outlets. They're not really manufacturing anything mm. um, in the UK. Um, and I think that's put the UK behind in implementation of uh, automation and things like that, which 
Brexit has now made people relook at. Um, and, you know, and so has COVID. Um, people want to be more distant and, uh, you know, socially distant, but distant at work as well. Um, so it's a case of, you know, bringing more automation. Um, the challenge with automation has been that you couldn't go into anybody's facility to assess what automation could be implemented or install anything yeah. um, because you weren't allowed into the facility. So, you know, that's kind of added a blip to um, the actual sales of automation, but the inquiries for people that want automation has, uh, you know, really uh, increased massively. I mean, to be, and that's a really good point, because actually even in the last, in October, I would say in the last three or four or five, six months, four or five months, <coughs> business that other, you know, business that I'm involved in, we have seen an uptick, things are moving along. And I'd actually predicted, because um, the truth is we don't honestly know the financial true financial implications, but I predicted it would be dire as soon as this came over. But I've been surprised because actually, as you've alluded to, um, it's kind of an employee's market out there. There's a lot of places that employers are trying to fill and, and the employees have suddenly realised that actually the whip hand is kind of with them, which is, to be honest with you, has become a massive surprise to me because I wasn't I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah. And well, I mean, the skill sets in certain parts of automation are obviously lacking in the UK because we haven't got people making the vehicles and, and things like that. Um, you know, like I say, the software, it's a numbers game um, and trying to uh, get the people that, uh, you know, that can program in the various languages. Um, and that's really where I was coming from with the, you know, it's a young person's thing in a sense that the software is changing, um, you know, so much that uh, we need people that have come fresh from university that have learned the new software stuff and the new skills from that um, to, uh, you know, help us implement the latest and greatest into what we're trying to do, uh, what we're trying to do here. And I think it is a challenge for anybody that left university 10 years ago to kind of say, well, how do I keep my skills up to date and, uh, you know, learn what the latest and greatest is? Um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for people to, uh, you know, to do. Definitely. And then, as I alluded to at the beginning of this interview, a brilliant uh, article you, you supplied or through your PR agency that um, Investing in Future, Grow Your Own Robot. I mean, that caught our attention to begin with, <laughs> the, the title. But the takeaway, and I have been through, read through this, but the takeaway I got from it actually was from the title and what you said about growing your own bot, robot. But the, the feeling I had was almost like having bolt-ons to build into a system and to expand, um, you know, on that, if that kind of makes sense. So, the, yeah, like I say, the takeaway for me was kind of um, that you you offer a service, um but you can actually adapt it and build build it and actually expand it. That's the feeling. I mean, I might be completely wrong, but reading through it and everything you said, it just seemed like a really brilliant solution set to companies that want to have automation, but kind of want to future-proof it, you know? Yeah, and that's uh, that's exactly, you've interpreted that correct. Um, you know, you start at the moment, the technology uh, really is about not having the humans doing as much walking around and that of course goes against all our health uh, issues and, and things like that but it's wasted time for humans to be walking around a facility just to move empty cages or move totes around or boxes and things like that what the humans are very good at which is still very expensive to automate is the actual picking as a human we can put our hand into a pot and pull out a crisp packet um, and know not to squash it because the contents are very fragile inside there. Um, but we know how to orientate our hand, how hard to grip. And if that's then a banana or an egg or a light switch or, you know, whatever the box is, 
we know how to handle it just by looking at it. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of skill there. The sensors which are required in robot arms to be able to grab things and squeeze things and know not to drop things and, and those bits, you know, is still very expensive. And there's a lot of work going on. And as I've kind of said before, as the sensors get cheaper and the technology gets cheaper, then there will be more of that. So at the moment, it's about saying, okay, let's use these robot bases for moving things around, be it the totes or, um, you know, tugging things around, the trolleys and things like that. Um, you know, let's use them for that. But when the robot arms are now cheap enough to go and actually do the picking themselves, yeah. then there's the opportunity to say, well, that base doesn't need to be scrapped. That's still physically capable of moving things around. So then you can maybe add robot arms um, and maybe you have a robot arm with a sucker on there that can pick up certain products and things quite effectively. Well, maybe those robots picking those areas with those products and more difficult products are left to humans somewhere else. And there's this whole thing about, you know, as you can adapt with the technology and as it becomes more um, price um, manageable, then uh, you can start to look at adding these things on and changing the use of them um, as you go. So that's where the Grow Your Own Robot came from. You know, look, start off with some simple applications where you can get some good wins. And as the technology price comes down, let's keep adding to it and, uh, you know, not scrap the things that you've already got that are working and moving around. Let's just add to it and, um, you know, make it more efficient. Thank you. And I'm sure, Paul, there's things that you're working on at the moment as a company that you obviously can't divulge, but you, you must have innovative ideas and products which are coming to market soon. But can you give us an idea of, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, where you see this? Is it possible to even predict where we'll be in, in a few years' time? Or is it changing so quickly it's hard to keep up? Not keep up, hard to make a prediction. Um, I think, you know, it will become more of the robot arms moving around, not, not robots looking like people that you often, uh, <laughs> that you often see where, um, that's usually done as a social thing, because if we have to interact with these robots in, uh, in warehouses or aisles, for some reason, we like to see a more humanoid type thing, um, as, uh, as part of it, but that's the psychology, uh, part of it. Um, but no, the because of the way that the work is going into robot arms as a way of you know doing the function, replicating what the human can do, um, you know most of the work is going into uh, that kind of thing. Either replacing our eyeballs with a you know two cameras or a single three D camera, um, because that's how we drive around a warehouse. So just making it very simple on that sensor side of things. Um, and then also they're replicating what the human can do with the arms and the dexterity of the arm and the ability to have this multi-purpose hand that can grab as we do. And so all that, you know, the, the software around that is about image processing. What is it that I'm trying to pick up, um, you know, identifying what that is and working out how to, uh, how to grab it. So in the short term, it's all about having similar products in similar areas so the robots know how to handle them. Uh, but in the long term, it's just added in now for the, uh, you know, for the human. And uh, it just randomly everything placed around. Um, and we can just handle anything from, you know, heavy things to small things. Okay. Um, Sorry, so, Karen. Yeah. A, a, lot of, a lot of the image processing is the, uh, you know, is the key to what's happening now, as well as that hand sensor technology. And that's what will mean that the, the humans start to come out of those warehouses and, um, you know, and we start to automate more. But, you know, equally, if you look at growth rates of um, internet 
ordering, just picking that without kind of specifically going for manufacturing. If I just look at internet ordering rates with the way that we're moving to the internet, um, you know, there's there's not enough people coming through. You know, if you look at the number of 18 year olds that uh, are the, the number of 15 year olds that in five years, three years will be 18. Um, there's not enough of them coming through for the extra people we'll need in the warehouses if everybody went into warehouse picking, um, you know, just the year increases that uh, that we need. Um, so there aren't enough humans coming through, you know, growth rates for us to handle the increase in all the internet ordering and things that, uh, you know, that we need. So we're having to automate it. It's not a case of taking jobs away from people. We just not got enough people and need to, uh, you know, need to expand. And this is the way to do it. So it's coming at us from many sides of, uh, of forcing automation. And, uh, you know, and the UK is now playing catch up and, uh, you know, trying to automate more and more um, of things it should really have been doing years ago. But I also think the Brexit element to it will force people to manufacture more, whatever people's view on Brexit is. Mm. You know, we will manufacture more in Britain. I think making PPE in Britain and things has kind of integrated that, um, you know, with, um, you know, with the COVID thing. Um, and hence, um, you know, we'll we'll kind of catch up and there will be lots of vehicle makers out there because we'll need vehicles and, um, you know, we'll get some in uh, in the UK. We'll, uh, we'll recover. <laughs> no, of course, I agree with everything you're saying. I think that, you know, like you say, whatever your view is on Brexit, I think we're going to have to become more self-sufficient. That, that has to be a path through all of this um and we in regards to this just you know sort of final question if i'm a ceo of company x um a random company and i contact you i know this is very difficult to answer because each job i'm sure is bespoke but just a timeline of from us contacting you saying look we're interested in you you coming in to help us automate our system we you know want you to be part of that help us you know, from the start, from the start of that phone call to the end, you know, what's the typical timeline of de- of actually delivering to a client? So the interesting thing there is that what people really want to do in the beginning is they want to try a vehicle or a small number of vehicles because they just want to see how it fits in with their process. They want to see what what can be achieved, um, you know, with uh, with something. You know, perhaps there is an application where. Every day, somebody is moving empty cages from one side of the warehouse to the other side where they're refilled again and obviously make it to the back door and things like that. So somebody would pick an application like that and say, hey, why don't we try automating that one uh, piece? And then, you know, inevitably, when they've automated one piece, they then start going, oh, we could automate that and we could automate that. And yeah. That's not answering your question, but that's kind of, um, you know, going with the, um, the, the viewer. People are starting small unless you're a huge company that's going to build a whole new warehouse and say, let's just automate the whole thing from the beginning. Most people are trying to find a way of integrating their current process. They don't want to change something they've been doing for years that's working well. Um, so they just want a small number of vehicles. So from that initial um, contact, we obviously need to assess what, what we're trying to achieve. What extra hardware do we need to, uh, do we need to put in so that the vehicles can interact at the other end if it's not mm. just a human. Um, so you have to uh, assess that. Um, so, you know, you've probably got typically a month or so around that piece, um, do a quotation, get some money, um, you know, together from the client's side. Um, that, that's an, you know, an unknown amount of time. That depends on what the, uh, what the rush is. But once we've got the purchase order and say, okay, let's, um, you know, let's go and do this, then realistically, um, you've probably got another 
um, four, eight weeks if you've got one, um, you know, one or two vehicles. Uh, if you've got, you know, 10 or 20 vehicles, then, uh, you know, it, it'll certainly take twice that length of time um, to do it. And again, it also depends on how much, when you can do the installation, you know, how much of the process can be stopped at the moment to, uh, you know, to integrate. So, um, you know, it's certainly not a year, but it can end up taking as long as that if, you know, the buying process and things in there, you know, is kind of delayed. But, um, you know, the actual a demonstration we can do, um, a very simple demonstration we can do within a day, you know, we can take a vehicle onto somebody's site and, uh, and can, you know, create the maps and things that I suggested at the beginning that we needed. Yeah. And, um, you know, and can show something moving around, going from A to B and, you know, those kind of things. Um, obviously, it's not fully integrated in the sense that you can pass a tow onto a conveyor and backwards and forwards as, uh, as easily. But, um, you know, in terms of demonstration to show what something could be capable of, you know, that's not a big job, but I'm not integrating with the full system. So, uh, you know, that all depends. What software have you already got that's doing your kind of order handling or your manufacturing piece? Um, and how do we integrate with that? That's usually the challenge um, and, uh, you know, and can take time if you know, that can be unknown. You can find Global Logistics at glowlogistic.com.